0: You're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit benttreechurch.com. Well, hello Bent Tree Church. How you all doing? You guys can take a seat. Mm. Powerful worship today. Um for those of you who don't know me, I'm Jeff. Welcome. I'm so glad to have you guys all here today. Today I want to start off with a question. The question that I want you guys to actually discuss, you're going to turn to the nearest person uh, around you and you're going to discuss this question. It's right here. What's the greatest sacrifice that someone's ever made for you? Again, what's the greatest sacrifice someone's ever made for you? Um, It'd be really easy after worship like that to give the Sunday school answer of Jesus, um, but do me a favor. that, there's nothing wrong with that answer, um, but I want you guys to be thinking of someone, well, yeah, just an example uh, of sacrificing the people around you. So maybe something a parent did for you, maybe something a spouse or another family member or friend did for you, maybe even something a total stranger did for you. But take a minute right now, uh, turn to the person nearest you, and I want you to discuss with them this question right here on the screen, what's the greatest sacrifice someone's ever made for you? All right, on your marks, guess you guys all have your answer. You can't just like stare at them. That's awkward from the person nearest you discuss this question your marks get set go All right, you guys can finish your answers at lunch. You can discuss with your partner after the bell. No. Um, Let's bring it back together, guys. Um, Today, we are talking about sacrifice. We're talking about greatness in God's kingdom. We're talking about what true glory is. Um, But first things first, uh, would you guys rise? Would you stand with me as we read our text for the day? It comes from Matthew 20, verses 17 through 34. So take out your Bibles. Paul says it all the time. I will reiterate him. Take out your Bibles. Um, and before we read our text, do you know why we bring our Bibles to church here at Bentry? Yes? Uh, we do it to make sure uh, we're hearing directly from God, not from Paul, not from Jeff. Uh, so you should read along in your Bible. Check and see that I'm reading the text exactly as it was written, is inspired by God. Make sure I'm not adding anything or taking anything away. So with that said, Matthew 20, we're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to go all the way through 34. Oh, one last thing. This is a long passage. It's got like three distinct sections. So if your legs give you trouble, feel free to sit. No judgment here whatsoever. So for real this time, Matthew 20, verses 17 through 34. Jesus predicts his death a third time. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. And on the way, he took the twelve aside and he said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. And we'll hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And then a mother makes a request of him. Verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, she asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Oh, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, Well, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And then when the ten, that is the other ten disciples, um, heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them all together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So the third section of our text today. Two blind men received sight. As Jesus and his disciples then were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them, be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. So Jesus stopped and he called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and followed him. This is God's word. You guys can take your seat. Let's pray. God, help me unpack this text today. Um, It's a lot, but I pray that your truth would be revealed in my feeble words. Um, Open all of our eyes to see your sacrifice anew, and do what only you can do. Change us from the inside out by the power of your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, we pray these things And all God's people said, amen. Well, as you can see, I've got a long text to go through today. Um, But I I guess I'll just make my introduction quick. I am Jeff. Uh, I'm your spiritual growth pastor here at Bent Tree. That means I oversee our groups and our Generations Ministry. And I've got another question related to sacrifice as we get started here today. Um, It's related to our Generations Ministry. That is all the way from birth, toddlers, all the way to middle school and high school students. So, question, how many of you ever had a youth pastor or a Sunday school teacher, maybe just a teacher, sacrifice for you? Just go ahead and raise your hands if you ever had someone sacrifice for you. And keep your hands up. Seriously, keep them up high. Um... These are some of the first people I think about when I think about people that sacrifice. Keep your hands up. I see that. All right. Um, Now, here's the other thing. If you're not raising your hand, raise your hand if you wish someone would have. All right? Go ahead. Add your hands to it. Everyone's hands probably are up. Like, if you wish someone would have sacrificed for you when you were in high school. Yeah, I saw you back when you were in high school. You are weird, right? You just wish someone would have sacrificed. Now, everyone's hands are up. Go ahead and put your hands down if you don't feel like paying it forward. Ah, see what I did there, Maddie? These are all your new volunteers for children's. Okay? (laughs) But seriously, guys, um, you can put your hands down now. Um, Here's the deal. Uh, Sacrificing for the next generation, it's worth it. I'm telling you guys, it's great. You will love it if you do so. Um, We really could use some leaders for our D3 student groups. Maybe not, like, all about the kindergartners or whatever. So we could use some leaders for our D3 student groups. Um, But we could also use Sunday school teachers. So reach out to me, reach out to Maddie um, or Hal if you want to pay it forward, if you want to be the difference, if you want to sacrifice Um, For someone, as you wish they would have sacrificed for you. So, with that said, all right, as I said earlier today, we're talking about sacrifice, about glory, about greatness in God's kingdom. And as I think about the people that have sacrificed for me, like when I answer that question, um, I think of a few examples. The first one I think of are my parents. Um, I took my kids, and here's why I'm thinking about my parents because I just took my kids on a road trip a couple weeks ago, and yeah, that's the thing. That's a lot of work. Uh, Changing diapers and going potty every hour, uh, making sure they don't kill each other in the backseat, keeping everyone well-fed and entertained. It's a lot of work. And so um, this makes me realize how grateful I am to my parents for sacrificing all their peace of mind, like all of it, just to raise me. So um, take me across the country on those road trips. So mom, dad, if you're watching, thank you uh, for giving up all your peace of mind. Um, And honestly, thanks for everything else. Uh, parents, um, there's nothing they wouldn't do for their kids, right? Um, and my parents were no exception. So that's the first one I think of um, is my parents. And I think of people that have sacrificed. The second person I think of is my wife. Uh, when I think about people who've made sacrifices, my wife has made so many sacrifices um, in being married to me. I remember we used to live down in Denver, that's where we went right after we graduated. And she was on the fast track to becoming a principal at her uh, charter school. Like, literally, a principal before 30. And she was making really good money. Um, but I found my dream job up here in northern Colorado, teaching Spanish at a small school and also leading worship at a church plant in Fort Collins. And my wife didn't hesitate. She promptly turned in her resignation, and she started looking for jobs up here in northern Colorado. And she ended up becoming a Spanish teacher over at Trescott Elementary. But just so I could pursue my dream jobs. So, um... Yeah, she made a huge sacrifice for me. I'm super grateful for her. And the third person I think of when I consider who it is that's made sacrifices for me, um, I think of my biological mother. For those of you who don't know, I was adopted at a really young age, and um, I'm so grateful to my biological mother for not aborting me. Um, seriously, abortions were just as convenient back in the 1980s uh, as they are nowadays, and she could have easily aborted me and made me uh, another statistic, but I'm so grateful that she didn't. Um, she went through a difficult pregnancy while in school without a husband, and she did the right thing by not taking away my life, even though it would have made her life so much easier. So. Um, Those are just three people I think of when I think of people who made sacrifices for me. Um, And I could think of so many more. I could list them out for you. And you could too. You could list out so many people that have made sacrifices for you. Um, And you get kind of teary-eyed thinking about it because, like, it's true that this right here is how we measure greatness in life. Sacrifice. Like, digging deep. And facing the tough circumstances, all for someone else's good. This is how we measure a life, right? I think on one level or another, we recognize that sacrifice is what glory is. Like, think about the last funeral you guys went to. Um, when they talked about the deceased... And to honor them, they didn't talk about how much they consumed, how much they drank. They didn't talk about how much stuff they bought or how much money they earned. They talked about how much they gave away in their life, right? What they gave to others in their lifetime, what they did for others, what they sacrificed. We all understand this truth. It is self-evident that life is not measured by how much you got, but how much you gave away, how much you loved others. Um, And it's not just funerals that exemplify this truth. Uh, We see this um, in like the stories we love the most. Uh, The Olympics, I think, are going to come on TV. It's like whatever, 14 months late, but I think they're coming here soon. Um, And what are you going to see when you watch the Olympics? You're going to see stories of people that have walked through incredible adversity, sacrificing time, money, and their families sacrificing so much as well just to see them compete. Like this is inspiring stuff, right? Right? Think about your favorite movies as well, all right? Think about the ones that make you cry, the ones that make you feel like you could run through a brick wall for the ones you love. These movies highlight sacrifice. Yes, I got an amen from someone under 30. That's what I'm talking about, right? You guys remember this scene? If you don't know, ask someone under 30, okay? But here's the deal. The power of this scene is driven by one thing and one thing alone. Sacrifice. Will a genius, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist lay down his life for his team, for his family, for the world? Because that's what happened here, all right? It's the culmination of 22 movies. (laughs) A lot of movies. But seriously, that's what happened right here in this scene. A character that was once self-centered and egotistical gave up his life to save the world. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is what the movies are made of. It's what the stories that inspire you are made of. It's what we listen to and what cures us up at funerals, all right? Um, It's how we measure a life. It's what inspires us. So if we all get this, that this is what greatness is made of, sacrifice, why don't we see more sacrifice um, in our world? Why is it that when I drive down the road, when I turn on my blinker, the person behind me speeds up like that happen to anyone else? Like, don't they realize what greatness and glory await them if they just sacrifice their place in the lane for me? Like, why is it though? I mean, I'm giggling here, but why is sacrifice, real sacrifice, so uncommon? Well, here's what I've come up with, or at least why I think we don't see more sacrifice in our society. I think we've got a vision problem. I think we've got a problem with our eyes. And the way people look at us, um, the way we look at each other, like if we actually saw the person in front of us in traffic and knew what they were going through, knew why they were speeding down the road, of course, we'd let them in in front of us. We don't sacrifice because we don't see the needs around us. And moreover, I don't think we sacrifice because we don't think anyone's watching us. We all drive differently when a cop's watching us, huh? Right? And if we knew that there was a hidden camera Right? we would definitely like turn the wallet in that we find on the ground right we would sacrifice it when we know people are watching but when it comes to sacrifice guys we've got this weird like two-way vision problem everyone wants to be seen making a sacrifice but no one wants to make a sacrifice that no one else sees or hears about right and if we knew everything going on in someone's life of course we'd give everything to help that person out but goodness me it's just easier to close my garage door before i get out of my car it's just easier to lock my doors, to stay in at night because I don't have to hear what my neighbor's going through. It's a lot easier to stare at my phone than to see the kid at school being bullied. It's a lot easier just to close my office door and crank out emails rather than actually talk to the people I work with and discover what they're going through. We all do this. None of us is exempt by nature. It's human nature. We all turn our eyes away from where sacrifice just might be needed. And just as naturally, we'll sacrifice where we feel like we're being watched. But we won't choose the hard road. We humans, we don't choose the hard road if we feel like no one's watching. Like, you get what I mean when I'm saying there's like a two-way vision problem we have here? So what's the solution to this vision problem? What's the solution to the sacrifice problem we see in the world? Maybe we just need more inspiration. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe we just need more stories, more examples of people overcoming adversity. Maybe we just need to try our darndest to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and be the very best persons we can be. And that's honestly what secular humanism says. Secular humanism, it's the doctrine that you hear everywhere you go. Be a good person. Be a good person. This is what you're supposed to do. The right thing to do is be a good person. But here's the thing. Secular humanism, the belief that we ought to do good for our fellow man, it says we ought to do good, but for no good reason. And this is the thing the belief that's peddled by mainstream American culture, it's the dogma that you hear in public schools. And unfortunately, this is the, this is the dogma you hear. It's the watered down, good for nothing um, doctrine that's preached in so many churches nowadays. It says this that if you're inspired by sacrifice, maybe you'll be a better person. And I'm sorry, I'm not sorry, but I got to burst this bubble. This doctrine, humanism, it lacks any real power whatsoever. Humanism says you should love your fellow man because it's what you ought to do and your conscience says so. But it pays no attention to the fact that your conscience can be seared and scarred and corrupted over time and your conscience is lost, it's broken. It can become calloused. And that's exactly where secular humanism will leave you. It'll leave you callous and unfeeling, uninspired, unwilling to make a change in your life Um, because you've already tried it all, right? In humanism, you try it all. We try to be good, but you just can't do any good when you try your best because you've got no power on your own to become a better you. Here's how Jesus describes the humanist. In Matthew 13, he says, you'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes. They'd hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and repent. I would heal them. This is the state of all humanity, according to Christ. We're unseeing, we're blind, we're deaf. We've got hearts that are callous to the hurts around us because we've been hurt before. We turn a blind eye and we ignore the people around us that are struggling because you know what? We're struggling. Right? Is the struggle real for anyone out there? Yeah, it's hard to see the struggles in others because you've got your own struggles. We don't want to reach out and call that family member or friend in need because you know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear about a need, and you don't really have that much left to give in your love tank. Here's the deal. Without God to open our blind eyes and heal our calloused hearts, we're never going to really be able to make a difference in the world around us. We're going to end up just as self-serving and self-centered as the rest of the world. Yeah, there's going to be some people, certainly, that sacrifice occasionally, and some people sacrifice more than others, but make no mistake about it. The humanist that does good but for no really good reason runs out of steam eventually because no one's good all the time. We're just good at being good when someone's watching us, right? Like, and the thing is, is from the time we exit the womb, no one has to train you. You are programmed, to only really look out for yourself, not to look out for the needs of others. So we need God to change us from the inside out. We need him to make us alive. We need him to make our hearts beat again, or we're only going to seek glory for ourselves. And we're only going to do it in the ways that are most convenient for us and least likely to stir up the waters around us. We need God to radically intervene, or we'll never turn and be healed. We need God to open our eyes, to open our ears, to take the calluses off our heart, give us a new heart. Otherwise, we'll never will be healed because it's just not our nature. We'll be ever looking, never really seeing, ever hearing, never really understanding. We'll have calloused hearts, deaf ears, and blind eyes. So, this problem I've laid out for you, this problem of why humans don't sacrifice our own good for others, um, at least not regularly in any meaningful way, what's crazy is we know this is what glory is, this is what greatness is, Jesus, he he meets this problem head on in our text for today. And I will say, I think it's absolutely amazing that we've got these three distinct sections at the end of Matthew 20, these three vignettes that paint a really beautiful picture of what sacrifice is, of what glory is, of how it is that we can sacrifice. So let's dive into the text now. If you've got your Bibles, bring it, all right, take it out. Um, Now that I've got you thinking about sacrifice, let's go deep to grow deep that we might reap the... uh, the fruitful truth of this passage. So, again, three vignettes, three pictures, three stories. Um, it's exactly what we need, I'm telling you. This text is what you need if you're wanting to live like Christ did, All right, in complete submission to God the Father. Um, these pictures will help us see why Christ was exalted with a name above all names and why it is that we're so dull as doorknobs. So, the first vignette, it establishes the tone for the next two. It starts right here, in Verse 17. Jesus predicts his death a third time. And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. And um, I put the title... Uh, These sections in here for you. You need to know uh, and remember that the titles, the chapter, the verse divisions, they actually weren't there in the original Greek text. But it is obvious, if you're reading in the Greek, um, that there's an obvious break here in Jesus' teaching, right? As Jesus and his disciples are going up to Jerusalem. And I want to highlight that word for you guys, this word up. Um, It's really easy just to, whatever, zoom past a little word like this. But um, Jesus had a special purpose in going up. In first century Judaism, they reckoned things. They looked at the world topographically. What do I mean by that? Um, I mean, they looked at, like, elevation. That's how they reckoned things. Like, for Americans, we would say Jesus is going down to Jerusalem because he's going south, right? We look at things geographically. But first century Jews, they looked at things topographically, um, and they would say he was going up because he was literally climbing a hill. He was down in Jericho, and there's, like, a 2,000-foot elevation gain from Jericho to Jerusalem. But moreover... He's going up spiritually. What do I mean by that? Um, see, whenever first-century Jews would go to Jerusalem, they would see Jerusalem, all right, their holy city, as the pinnacle of spiritual experience. It's the high point. It's the lofty acropolis where all things spiritual happen. All right, Jesus makes it crystal clear here that he has a spiritual purpose in going up to Jerusalem. So on the way, he took the twelve aside and he said to them, "We're going up to Jerusalem. Where are we going?" Jerusalem. And the son of man in Jerusalem will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, that is the Romans, to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day though, he will be raised to life. (laughs) You guys see this? Like Jesus is calling a shot here. All right, It's pretty cool. He's, he knows he's going to Jerusalem to die. And what's crazy is that this isn't the first or the second time. This is the third time he's told his disciples this. He's speaking in no uncertain terms here. He'll be handed over to the religious leaders. He'll be arrested, condemned, and what's more, he starts giving him the details of his death, which is crazy. He's going to be mocked. He'll be flogged within an inch of his life, and he'll be crucified. And so if you were reading this text as a first-century Jew... Like, without any sort of verse or chapter divisions, when you got here to this section in Matthew, this section is going to stand out to you like a sore thumb. Like, Jesus is prophesying. He's saying before it happens that he's going to die. And more than that, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to die. Everyone can say that because we all are going to die, right? Jesus is giving the intricate details of his death. And more than that, more than that, He prophesied his own resurrection, his coming back to life. Now friend, I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know if, um, yeah, this is your first time coming to church or if this is the first time in a long time you're kicking the wheels. You might even be thinking about checking out of church. But here's the thing. You need to look at this passage a second time and realize just how amazing this is. Jesus prophesied his own death and resurrection three times. You guys get this? This is Jesus lifting his bat. Pointing over right field. And he's saying, hey, guys, guys, I'm going to hit the ball over that fence. All right? I don't think you heard me. I told you one time, but I'll tell you two times. That fence over there that says 350 feet, that one. I'm going to hit the ball over that, okay? Here. Read my lips for a third time, guys. I'm going to hit the ball over that fence. He's emphasizing for us that he knows he will die, and he knows he will come back to life. And anyone that calls this shot is worth listening to. No one else in history has ever done this, all right? And no one's ever done it since. It's the one historical event that we Christians, we hang our hat on, we build our faith on this. And without this one event, Jesus's death and resurrection, our faith is meaningless. But here's the deal, guys. Our faith isn't meaningless, all right? Because it actually happened, right? Like it happened just like He said it would happen. And that's why we believe. Now, I told you this was the first vignette, all right, in the picture that God's painting, all right, to teach us about sacrifice. Are you guys ready for vignette number two? Okay, I've got like two people that are ready. I guess i just. No, here's the deal, guys. Um, We've got our theme established, that Jesus is going to die. He's going to pay it all. um, He's going to be sacrificed for God's special purpose. But before we move on to the second vignette, I've got to mention something else. Jesus had it in his mind. He knew this before time, right? That he was going to pay the price, that he was going to be sacrificed to bring many sons to glory. And I wonder if you, Christian, I wonder if you have that in your mind as well. Like, you do realize, dear child of God, that sacrifice is a central part of the Christian life, right? Like, this is what you sign up for when you become a Christ follower. I don't know if some smooth-talking preacher told you once upon a time that becoming a Christian would help you have your best life now. But here's the thing is, it's just not true. It's just not true. Like, Jesus didn't come to smooth the turbulence in your life. He came to give you a parachute because the plane's going down, people. He doesn't promise an easy trip, a comfortable ride, a smooth journey in first class. He promises you a safe landing. And it probably will be a bumpy ride. And honestly, it probably will be a little bit more uncomfortable at times, especially in Colorado, to be a Christian. Christ said it this way. He said that you will have troubles in this world, but you can take heart. You can take heart because Christ's sacrifice has overcome all the evil in the end. A true Christ follower follows Christ in his sacrifice. If you're going to write something down, that's something you got to write down. A true Christ follower will follow Christ in his sacrifice, and his way of sacrificial living. Dear child of God, you've got to have it in your mind, just as Jesus did when he was going up to Jerusalem, that you're going to live a life of sacrifice to give God glory. This is Christianity 101. It doesn't get more basic than this. To follow Christ is to follow his example of sacrifice. And it's okay, honestly, if you don't get this quite yet, because his disciples, they didn't get it. And that's why we're going to go on to vignette number two, all right? Because here's the thing, like he's going to explain it. A mother's request. So then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, um, and kneeling down, she asked a favor of him. So this is the mother of James and John. These are two of Jesus' special disciples. They're the sons of Zebedee. Um, We know from reading the other accounts of the story that James and John, they like put their mom up to this, It's like mama's boys came with mommy, (laughs) like dragging, dragging mommy to the parent teacher conference to get a higher grade. Like, okay. Anyway, what is it they really want here? Right? And that's exactly what Jesus asks. He says, what is it you want? He asked. She said, well, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right. I don't know why she's Southern. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) that was weird. She said, said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. Um, (laughs) Sit at your right and your left. You realize what she's asking for? She's asking for privilege, for prestige, for positional authority for her sons. She just doesn't get it yet, though. Like, Jesus has just said that he's going to die in Jerusalem. Like, just now. He just said that. And then she walks out the church doors and she totally forgets the sermon, right? That's what happened here, right? She's convinced that Jesus is the long-awaited militaristic Messiah that will overthrow Rome and establish a a Jewish-ruled kingdom in Palestine. And she wants Jesus to just share his authority with her sons. She wants a place for them at his right and at his left. She doesn't understand what she's asking. She has no idea whatsoever the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Jesus didn't come to establish a kingdom to rule over Palestine, um, not a kingdom with princes and peons, positions and power. Jesus came to establish a kingdom, a kingdom here on earth that no one had ever heard of, could even comprehend. Sit at your right and your left, and that's what she's focused on. She's looking for crowns for her sons, but she doesn't realize like the cross right in front of her. You know, we actually know John and James' mother's name. Does anyone know what it is? It's Salome, all right? Um, Everyone say Salome. It's not Salami. Salome. Um, We see her name in the story of Jesus' crucifixion. So you see, she was right there with Mary and Jesus' mom when they crucified him. And slow down here for a second, guys. You've got to see this. This is huge. What did Salome see on Jesus' right and his left? during the crucifixion. Did she see thrones for her sons? Did she see crowns? No, she saw two crosses. Two criminals crucified right next to Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. And I highly doubt that any mom would ask for that for her sons. But that's what greatness and glory is. She was asking for a crown, but she didn't see the cross. And here's the gospel truth. You got to bear the cross if you want to wear the crowns, friends. You gotta bear the cross if you wanna wear the crown. So Jesus says, you really want your kids to be on my right and my left when I establish my kingdom, Salome? Like, James, John, do you really think you can handle being on my right and my left? Do you even know what you're asking for? (laughs) You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. And of course, they don't know what they're asking for. James and John are blinded to the price that's got to be paid. Otherwise, they never would have put their mom up to the charade. All they can see are the miracles and the wonders and the signs and the glory and the fame and the celebrity that comes with following Christ. They're completely unaware of the price that Christ has got to pay. The price that is required for glory. They are as dumb as doorknobs. You remember that passage I put in front of you earlier. That passage that says they've got eyes But they're not really seeing. Here's the thing. This is James and John right here. They've got ears, but they're not really hearing Christ. They've got a heart, but it's calloused and it's non-responsive to what Jesus is saying. They've got eyes, but they're blinded by the lights. They're blinded by their own visions of grandeur. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? That's what Jesus asked them. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we can do it. We can do that. (laughs) How revealing is it that this is the question Jesus asks? Like, do you really think you can handle greatness and glory in my kingdom? James, John, you really think you can wear this crown? Guys, you don't realize how heavy this crown is really gonna sit. James and John don't realize the cup that Jesus is talking about here, the cup of suffering that Christ has before him, It's full of the wrath of God, full of his righteous wrath for all the sins of the world, and it will be completely poured out on Christ. This cup is the fatal price that Christ has to pay to follow God and glorify him with his last breath. And This cup, this is the cup that Jesus begs and he pleads with his father and he says, Father in heaven, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Praise God that the cup wasn't taken from him. He drank it willfully, praying, not mine, but thine be done. And he took upon himself our sins. He took upon himself the punishment for our mistakes and messes up. This is what sacrifice really is, guys. This is glory, people. Are you guys getting the picture yet? Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left, that's not for me to grant, because those places belong to those for whom have been prepared by my Father. See, indeed, James and John will drink the cup of suffering that Jesus drinks eventually. Because James, I don't know if you know this about biblical history, but James, he's put to death by Herod. He's the first martyr among the disciples. And John, he was thrown into boiling oil and then he was exiled to Patmos and probably lived a really lonely, isolated life there. Eventually, James and John and all the disciples, they will drink Christ's cup of suffering. They will sacrifice it all to follow Christ, but they just don't get it yet. They're focused on glory. They're focused on greatness. They're focused on themselves. What about you? What are you focused on? Let's look and see what the other disciples were focused on. (laughs) The other disciples, the 10, because remember 12 minus 2, that's the other 10. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. (laughs) They're not indignant because they're frustrated these two, whatever, got their mom. They're frustrated that, like, they didn't think of it first. The disciples are so dead set on getting highest rank in Jesus' kingdom, they're forgetting everything that Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus called them together, and he's like, guys, Remember the kingdom of heaven we talked about? It's different. See, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the kingdoms of this earth, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord over them. All right? They're high officials, exercise authority. Jesus is like, guys, I know what kingdoms on this earth look like. And I know that's probably really attractive to you guys. Like, being a ruler, being an executive, being high up on the career ladder, seems like a great place to be. Just lording over everyone underneath you, everyone hanging on to every word that comes from your lips. And simply exercising authority, never actually exercising any muscles, never actually, whatever, lifting a finger, never staying late or giving up your own time and money because you're the top, you're the greatest, right? You're the talent. I know that's what kingdoms on this earth look like, guys, but see, this isn't the kingdom that I came to establish. Jesus says, Jesus couldn't state it. He couldn't state it any more clearly. Clearly. That if there's to be any ambition in the service of God, it's got to be an ambition to serve others. There's no place for authoritarian power brokering. There's no place for your aspirations of grandeur. There's no place for comfy, cozy, convenient Christianity. There's only serving God and serving others, and nothing else matters. Nothing else matters, guys. Not so with you, Jesus says. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you You've got to be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave. The kingdom Jesus came to establish is one of sacrifice. One of serving God by loving others like Christ loved us. And you tell me, guys, how far did Christ's love go for us? Did it quit when things got inconvenient, when things got uncomfortable? The kingdom that Christ came to establish is one where all of the king's people live and serve and give regularly, intentionally, to the point where they can't serve, give, love anymore. One where greatness is not measured by how high up you are on the ladder, but by how much you sacrifice. And friends, we know this. We know that at the end of our lives, this is how we're going to be measured. Not by our position, but by how much we sacrificed. This is the gospel truth. This is the radical reality that we've got to embrace, Jesus' upside-down kingdom, where greatness comes from stooping low to serve others, serving till it hurts, pouring out your blood, sweat, and tears for others, because that's exactly what Christ did for us. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our lives as Christians is to be viewed in the same way as Christ viewed his life. As a ransom. So what do I mean? What does Christ mean by that word ransom? Well, it harkens back to the slave markets of the first century um, Roman world. It's the price that must be paid to free a slave. And Christ makes his point, his purpose here crystal clear. He's come to die a substitutionary, atoning death for us. He's come to pay the price for our freedom. I gotta mention before I get too far, I'm ahead of myself here that like serving is Christ served. Loving is Christ loved. Sacrificing is Christ sacrificed. Though it's hard when God calls you to sacrifice for his glory, it's worth it. It's so worth it. Guys, the most rewarding thing in this life is sacrificing for for Christ. There's no greater joy than sacrificing for our Lord and Savior. Check this out. Hebrews twelve two for the joy set before him. Not for like the, whatever, nail-biting, tooth-gritting, whatever, work set before him. For the joy set before him. Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You guys see this? There's joy in sacrificing it all and laying your life down another. Yeah, it's hard. And sometimes the yoke doesn't feel so light. But the sacrifice that God calls us to is worth it. He calls you to it, so he'll see you through it. And I want to say it again. When God leads you to sacrifice, it's worth the price. So I want to sum up the second vignette for you guys here. Um, The disciples, they came to Christ with blind eyes, deaf ears, and calloused hearts. They asked for greatness, for authority, for power. And Jesus instead pointed to humility, to servitude, to loving others till it hurts. I told you guys, like, we know the truth about glory and sacrifice. We know it deep down in our hearts. We know that sacrifice is glory's price. But despite all of our efforts, we human beings, we've got what? We've got a vision problem when it comes to sacrifice. We don't sacrifice because we don't see those around us in need. We don't sacrifice because we don't see Christ for who he truly is. We don't sacrifice because we don't see how deep our depravity really went and how far Christ stooped to love us. So, this brings us to the third vignette today Two blind mice. No, I'm kidding. Thanks for the pity laugh. Two blind men receive sight. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. So turn on the flat screen in your mind There's, uh, and see if you can envision it. There's this large herd of people moving outside the city gates. They're all following Christ. And as you see the herd of people, right, it's no wonder that the disciples, like, they were jockeying for position. They want to be near Christ, all right? They want to be near the teacher. They want to be in the, the inner entourage because Christ has become famous and they want to be famous too. But then, just as this great swath of humanity are moving slowly out of the city gates, two blind guys, they hear the commotion and they know this is their chance. This is their window of opportunity. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside and when they heard Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Guys, notice this title. They don't say, hey, teacher. Hey, Mr. Jesus man. They say, son of David. They're not mincing words here at all. They've heard about this great teacher. They've been sitting by the Jericho city gates for a long time. And, well, you guys know what the city gates were like back in those days. That's like CNN, all right? All the news comes in through the city gates, and they're listening, and they hear the stories about this Jesus character, and they've come to the one conclusion, the only conclusion that makes sense. That this is the Son of David. This is the Messiah. This is the chosen one. You see, they say Son of David, not rabbi or teacher, because he's the one they've been waiting for. He's the one that cleanses the leper, he's the one that heals the maimed, he's the one that gives sight to the blind. The crowd rebuked them and told them, Be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Because there's no way they're going to miss this opportunity. They've been literally in the dark their whole lives. They've got to get Christ's attention with their voices. Because remember, they're blind. It's not like they can go and seek him out. They can't go looking for him. All right? They've got to get his attention. They've got to scream at the top of their lungs to be heard over all the commotion. they got to get his ear because they don't have eyes. This is their one chance. It's the one chance when Jesus has come to town. So there's no way they're going to be silent. Like, Lord, Son of David, Jesus, we know it's you. Have mercy on us. You hear me? Come heal us. And all the people are like, shut up. All you do is beg and plead all day long, but there's no way they're going to be silenced. I just can't help but think that maybe there's someone in this room today, and that's you. You feel like God's passing you by and you've got to cry out to him today, friends. This is your chance. This is your window of opportunity. Don't miss it. You've got to cry out to God like your life depends on it because hear me now, your life does depend on it. These guys have got blind eyes, but they know exactly. They can see it. They know exactly who this teacher is. And how many of us We've got eyes, but we've never seen Christ this way. We've got ears, but we've never listened so intently at the city gates for the one day, the one minute that he might pass by. How many of us have hearts in our chest, but they've never beat like this for Christ? Jesus stopped and he called them and he said, what do you want me to do, guys? Well, what do you want Christ to do for you? tell you this. If you want something from Christ that isn't the exact same thing that these blind men outside Jericho wanted, you might be more blind than them. Again, if your answer isn't the same as these blind guys, you might be more blind than them. They wanted to see Christ. Do you? They wanted to be changed. They wanted to be transformed by the in, from the inside out. Do you want to be changed? Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Well, Do you want to see, I mean, do you really want to see Christ for who he truly is? Do you really want to see the depth of your own depravity to see how low he truly stooped? Here's the thing, the disciples, they were with Christ for years and they missed it. And maybe you too have been going through the motions. Going to church, going to small group, maybe even serving in church, and you missed it. Christ came to open your eyes to the depth of your depravity. Christ came so you could see the filth all around you that is the consequences of your sin. He came to change you, radically change you from the inside out, just like he did the blind man. So will you cry out to him today? Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. We all have a vision problem, just like the blind men. We need to see Christ for who he truly is. We need him to open our eyes as we read his word. And Jesus, oh, he had compassion on them. Just like he'll have compassion on you. He touched their eyes, just like he'll touch your heart. And immediately, they received their sight. And what's the first sight they saw? They saw Christ. Christ. And what's the first thing they did after they saw him? They followed him. I could preach a whole sermon on this verse right here, guys. But get it right here. He has compassion. He wants to touch your heart right now. And I'm telling you, as you see Christ anew, as your eyes are open, there's only one thing to do. It's to follow him. So my bottom line, guys, is simple today. Um, Glory's price is sacrifice. Again, glory's price... His sacrifice. And we need new eyes to see Christ. We need eyes to see our sin. Eyes that see why he was sacrificed for us. Friends, we've got to embrace the radical upside-down kingdom that honors sacrifice above everything else. Because that's the price that Christ paid. He sacrificed to bring many sons to glory. And it's what made a way for you and I to have a new eye. (laughs) To have a new life. His sacrifice paid the price and that's what we ought to seek. We ought to seek that same glory as we sacrifice for the glory of Christ. Um, you know, I, uh, I drive down this road every day. Well, not every day, but most days when I come to church. And um, there's 10 houses on this road. And I know what the stats say. I know that they say that 9 out of 10 Coloradoans My countrymen, they don't know Christ. And I wonder if they don't know Christ because they don't see the church acting like it. I'm not not trying to be rude here. I'm not trying to, whatever, convict um, on my own. I'm praying that God convicts us right now, all of us as a church. Because there's a thing, there's people out there that are just dying to know the truth. They're crying out like those blind men, whether whether you hear them or not. And so I wonder, church, like, are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to pay glory's price? That is sacrifice. All your aspirations and vision is lost when you seek glory bereft of the cross. I'll say it again. All your vision for your future, it's lost if you seek glory bereft of the cross. That means if you seek a glory for yourself, friends... It's loss. But if you see Christ's glory, I'm telling you, he'll call you to sacrifice and he'll see you through it. And there's nothing more rewarding in this life than that right there. So guys, I want to pray for us today. I want to pray that we would be more than inspired by Christ's sacrifice, because it is inspiring. But more than inspired, I pray that we would have eyes, new eyes to see the hurting people around us. I pray that we would have ears that want to hear stories All right? I pray that we would have hearts that aren't calloused, but hearts that are open wide to the hurts around us because Christ healed us from the inside out. Amen? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? True Christ followers pay the price, and we know what the price is it's sacrifice, God. You paid that price for us, and we're so thankful. We're so thankful for the price you paid, Lord Jesus. You were beaten. You were mocked. You were scorned. You were flogged within an inch of your life till your back looked like hamburger meat, God. You sacrificed for us. So God, I pray that you would give us new eyes today, that you'd regenerate hearts, (laughs) that you'd come and you'd help us to see your sacrifice for us in a new way. That we would be called and led to sacrifice in deeper ways for you and your sake, Lord Jesus. Glory's price is sacrifice. Help us to pay that price. It's a price that, that we can't pay unless you inspire us, God, unless you come and breathe new life into us, God. This next song, we're going to sing. We're going to sing it a lot. We're going to sing, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. God, wherever you call us, wherever you lead us, we want to go. Because we're like the blind men. We're the ones who need you. And you give us a purpose. You give us a reason for living. You give us a reason for sacrificing. Help us to live for you, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Guys, before I walk off the stage and before we worship, what if, what if when you drove down this road, you came to a church that said, that's a church that sacrificed big for its community? What if we embraced Christ's sacrifice in a real way? What if we didn't just whatever. Seek to be a church that got our whatever, our logo on the back of every car in town. That's worthless, guys. What's worthwhile is sacrifice. Sacrificing for your neighbors, for your family members that need to hear about Christ. What if that that we got it? Twelve people, twelve disciples changed the world. This church could change the world, guys, if we just got this one thing, that glorious price is sacrifice, and Christ wants you to. He wants to walk with you in this. So friends, Don't quench the Spirit. When you sing, Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders, I want you to mean it, guys. I don't want you to hold back. Because the thing is, the Spirit will lead you places that are uncomfortable and inconvenient. Oh, but it's so rewarding. I just know this from my own life, guys. I know that the yoke hasn't been easy. That it's been hard at times. But when Christ calls you to sacrifice, it's worth it. And these songs, maybe they feel like you're just going through the motions. They just feel like lyrics on the screen. But when you're actually sacrificing and living for Christ, no no holding back, guys, I'm telling you, these songs are going to come alive to you. And when you're crying out to God, God, lead me. It's because you need him. So let's stand up, guys. Let's worship like we need Christ. Let's worship like we need the Spirit. Come on. Let's do this. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bent Tree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit benttreechurch.com.